0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by Meg Cannon with the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, who is here to provide us tips to build strong relational, I'm starting over, P.S. Also, if you need to start over, you can, except it's usually me.
1: (laughs) Perfect. That's good. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by Meg Cannon with the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, who is here to provide tips to build trust and strong relationships with our tweens and teens. Thanks so much for being here, Meg.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm really excited to join you today and talk about some ways that we can help connect families and their children.
0: And I am looking forward to learning from you today. Meg is the Prevention Program Manager for the Department's Office of Suicide Prevention. And Meg, I'd love you to start by just telling us about why the work you do every day is so fulfilling and why you love what you do.
1: I 110% love what I do. I actually accidentally fell into mental health and the prevention world. Uh, In my previous life, I'd worked in public relations and marketing for nonprofits for the state. And several years ago, when there was a revenue failure, I was laid off with my entire department from another state agency. And during that time, I fell into prevention. And I told my, I told my boyfriend, I said, six months, I'm going to give this six months. And then I'm going back to PR because that's where my heart is. And six months came and he said, Hey, how's that job search going? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I have been in, in prevention. I started in substance abuse prevention and now I'm, and am and am in suicide prevention. Can't speak here right now. And it's just, it is so incredibly fulfilling for me. The one thing when I was a little kid, I always have wanted to make a difference in the lives of folks. And I remember being young and telling my mom now, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to make a difference. And that's one of the things I love so much about prevention is I can see where we're making a difference and making the world a little bit better for people.
0: That is incredible. And what a gift to get to feel like that about your work. And I mean, I see that the work that the department does every day is making a huge difference for for kids and families. And we're talking today about this age group that can get a little bit of a bad rap. And I will say I am the parent of a tween. So I am learning all of this alongside our listeners. We want to talk about mental health of tweens and teens and timely right now, as kids are transitioning back to school, this can be kind of a a high time for anxiety, sometimes for depression. What kinds of signs should parents be looking for, be aware of that could indicate our tween or teen is struggling with their mental health?
1: Absolutely. So I may not be a parent myself, but I like to joke that I am a professional aunt and I have a nephew who is a I guess he's a teenager now. That's hard to say. He's, he's a freshman heading into high school. I love this age group. We also do, I do a lot of volunteer work with this age group, and I think they are so amazing. What I have learned, and the, the best thing I can tell you as parents, is to watch for sudden changes. I know that at this age, you know, we have the, the hormones, we have other things going on, but watch for some of those changes. You know your kids best. Most likely you do, so watch them. Are they starting to withdraw from others, whether that's you or whether that's their friends? Are they suddenly having a lot of change in their habits? Um, One of the signs sometimes of mental illness, especially depression, is no longer showering as often as you used to or as one should, not caring about your hair or the way you look. Um, Massive, look for significant changes in sleep patterns. And I'm not talking about the summer changes where, you know, when I was a kid, you stay up all night and then you sleep in. I'm talking about, especially once they go back to school on the weekends, do they just want to sleep the entire weekend away? If it is, that could be a problem. Um, also watch to see if they're still enjoying the things they've always enjoyed. You know, if, if your kiddo is one who likes to play, say, disc golf, that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, if they like to play disc golf and all of a sudden they're just like, no, I don't care about it anymore. Watch for those things. And then also keep an eye out for for the big, big, big mood swings, the big mood changes like sudden and complete euphoria and elation, and then also watch for those impulsive and risky behaviors. You know, we don't wanna think that tweens are starting to experiment and change what they're doing, but sometimes those risky behaviors, we know that those start at an early age, and once they come on, if you have a kiddo who has been always by the book and always obeyed all the rules, and all of a sudden they start displaying risky behaviors, Um, For some kids, for some teens, this is even sexual acting out or impulsive impulsivity. Those are big red flags. Those are some things that if you see, you need to take some more steps and do some more investigating.
0: Is there like a timeline that parents should look at? I mean, obviously all tweens and teens are going to have rough days, maybe a rough week. Is there a way that we can gauge, okay, this has been going on for whatever extended period of time and that should be an indicator
1: I think it kind of depends on the child honestly Um, I have watched some of the kids that I volunteer with you know you know you usually notice within a day or so or a week or so that things are wrong but I tend to with these kiddos I give them some time and i observe them because i usually only see them once to twice a week and i observe them and see is this repeated has this lasted longer than 2 weeks and then that's when you need to step in when you're when you realize it or even if i've had situations before where i didn't realize that things had changed until all of a sudden i go oh gosh, that's, they've really changed how they've been acting for the last six weeks. So it's just kind of keeping an eye on it. And when you start to really question it, stepping in.
0: I know it has helped me and I don't know why this took so long to dawn on me as a mom, but you know, when my kids were babies and they were having ear infections and I would keep a list in my phone or in a notebook of their symptoms. Um, at some point I realized, Oh, I should be keeping a list of the signs and symptoms that I think could be anxiety or ADHD with my kids so that I have a record and then when I realize I need to take those next steps I had some conversation pieces to have with the pediatrician or with the counselor.
1: That's such a great idea, you know, to to familiarize yourself with what some of those, some of those warning signs, what some of those riskier behaviors are, just to know what they are and then kind of track your child for it. We all have a bad day. We've had, you know, we all have a bad day when we come home from work and we're like, you know what, I'm done. Peace out. I'm not going outside anymore. I'm going, like I told you earlier, I'm not going outside until the weather decides to be a little bit nicer. But it's, sometimes you come home from work and you're like, I'm going to watch TV. We're ordering in and going to bed early, you know, once that's fine. But if it becomes, starts to become a pattern and that's how it is with kids too. They may have a day or two where things are bad, but then once it's that pattern.
0: That's so helpful. Um, And and so when we are in a position where we think, okay, there is something wrong. My, my gut is telling me I've tracked their behaviors Um, What do we do next? What's the next best step?
1: So you have a couple of options. And what I recommend first is, number one, and do this today. Don't wait and do this tomorrow. Don't wait and do this until there's a problem. But be really familiar with your medical insurance and what it pays for and where you have coverage. I always recommend starting with your, with your pediatrician, with your child's doctor, and going in and just making sure everything physically is okay, because we know that some, some sicknesses or illnesses and always those good old hormone fluctuations can cause things, but you want to definitely start by ruling out anything physical then speak to their pediatrician, kind of explain to them what's going on. You can do this with your child there, or you can do it privately. Sometimes it's more helpful to do it privately so your child doesn't think you're judging. And ask your pediatrician for a referral. You know, I've noticed these things and I think something might be going on. And then look for, ask for a referral for, to someone for some therapy, who they might recommend, and then looking at your insurance. If you have insurance, figure out where you can go and what it's going to cost. And if, it's, if you don't have insurance or if your insurance doesn't cover mental health, um, there are lots of ways, especially in the metro areas, that you can get help at community behavioral health centers.
0: And I will note that Metro Family has a great um, free or low cost list of medical facilities, also places that provide support groups or mental health therapy for kids and families. So we will link that um, in the description of this podcast. Fantastic. So one of the hardest things for me about this age as I'm parenting it myself is, the independence that tweens and teens are pushing for. They push the parents away. They want to be more autonomous. And obviously these are steps that they need to go through. It's important for us as parents to support their growing independence, even if it's hard for us. But we still want to maintain that bond. So how do we do those two things simultaneously, especially in a way that we can continue to pay attention to their mental health?
1: I mean, if only there was a magic way to do this, right? Because <laughs> I think it's what every parent wants. I know it's what I want with my nephews. What I what I like to say is give them roots and give them wings. You you know, you've known this child since day one you have worked on for all these years giving them roots making sure that they know that you are safe to talk to that you're not going to judge them when something bad happens that you they can come to you and admit when they messed up so what you need to do as a parent is as they start to get older and they need to experiment and they need to kind of fly it's hard oh my gosh it's so hard but you have to trust them you have to trust them. You have to trust that you have worked with them and given them those skills and those tools. But at the same time, you do need to be vigilant and you need to be smart about what you do. So, you know, social media, it's its one of those things that we all talk about. None of us know. Is it really good? Is it really bad? I go back and forth on how I feel. But if your child is allowed on social media, make sure you have those passwords. Make sure that you're, you're able to check the other thing to do is encourage them and do this as young as you possibly can. We start doing suicide prevention work with kids as young as three and four, which is which kind of blows my mind, but it starts that early. Build that relationship and make sure, encourage them, to, you know, come to me if something's going on or if you're feeling sad, come to me. I can help you fix it. I don't have to be super mom and fly in and fix it for you, but I can give you ideas of how you can fix that. So it's kind of being letting them start to explore that independence, but with the support net behind them. I have a a colleague who likes to say, um, we know the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, which is responsible for decision making. We know that that's not fully developed until into your 20s, especially for boys. So I have a parent who's like, I'll give you wings and I'll give you roots, but you have to remember, I am also your prefrontal cortex and I will stop you if it gets too bad. But if they're struggling, encourage them, remind them to come to you. One thing a lot of times that we talk about, and when I I said we start with working with three and four year olds. What we do is we teach them about trusted adults. I don't know about you. My mom is my best friend. I will happily tell you that. We've been super close pretty much my entire life. But when I was a tween and a teen, there were things that I still was like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk to my mom about this. And so I had an aunt that I knew I could go to and I knew you know I knew she'd probably go tell my mom but I also knew that she would give me great advice and she would listen and she wouldn't say why did you do that she would help me work things out so how we encourage that with the littles start making sure that they have trusted adults in their lives sometimes it's a teacher Sometimes it's a counselor. Sometimes it's the next door neighbor or the best friend's mom. But make sure that if for some reason they're not comfortable with you, that they have a good, solid, trusted adult they can turn to. And we, you know, like I said, we start that super early so that people know. I know, I'm I'm not going to rat them out, but both of my boys, both of my nephews have each called me individually and said, Aunt Trap, I messed up and I messed up badly. I need help. And sometimes I'm like, I'm four to seven hours away from you, depending upon which one lives where, but I can help you. And so that trusted adult, that's so important for kids.
0: Oh, that's such a good reminder. And I think um, can be a little bit freeing for parents to think we don't have to be all things to our kids, um, and providing them nurturing, helping them nurture that relationship with another trusted adult is so important. It really is. Let's talk about all the social pressures for this age, and um, you know, I think I hear from parents all the time. I know I experience this um, in my household. It's different being a tween or a teen today than it was when I was a tween and teen. Um, There are a lot more pressures. There's a lot more comparison. Social media is the cause of some of that. But just in general, I know for me, I have to remind myself my kids are living in a harder world than what I lived in. How can we help our kids walk through issues like being teased, being bullied, or being a bully? mean kids being excluded from activities. How can we kind of help them develop some coping strategies around these issues?
1: You said it best, you know, these kids, these ages, man, when I was 12 years old, I didn't have my hair done and my makeup done. I wore my hair up in a ponytail and I didn't wear makeup and I wore jeans and t-shirts and I was happy as a clam to ride my bike. And I look at 12 year olds, 13 year olds someday. And I'm like, Man, the pressure to look like that, there is no way. I can't imagine. But I do, you know, it's been a a long time since I was in high school, middle school, junior high, what have you. But some things have not changed. And that's the fact that there are always going to be those hard things like teasing and mean kids and bullying and exclusion. The good news is, though, there are ways that you can help. One of my favorite things to say is to listen to your kids. And when I say listen, I mean to really sit down and hear them, not just, okay, yeah, um, okay, I'm making dinner and you said you want to go over to, to Bobby's house tomorrow and ignore them that way, you know, just kind of sure, whatever, listen to them. But the key is not reacting. It's so hard. I know that when I've had uh, the youngest, my youngest nephew, who is 13, he'll be 14 in a couple of weeks. Wow, I'm getting old. Um, he called me at Christmas time and he was so sad because my mom had bought him this hoodie that he loved and he wore it to school and kids made fun of him. He's an artist, and so he likes things that are a little different. And in a small town, you know, one kid jumps on and everybody else does it. It was so hard for me to not say, well, I'm going to get in my car and come show them who, you know, because that's my boy. That's my baby. You can't do that. So it's hard, but you got to not react much. Even though it hurts and it's not fun, let them talk. And then once they've gotten it all out, ask them what can I do to be helpful? How can I help you? Don't just jump and say, well, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to call the other kid's parents. Ask your kid, your child, what do you want me to do? In some cases, that may just be talking it out, expressing their feelings. Sometimes they may want you to take some action. I do think when you look at bullying, that it is important that you do reach out to the school if it's happening at the school. Um, All schools by law in the state of Oklahoma are required to have response plans for bullying. And I think it's important that schools do know that that is happening so they can keep an eye on it. The other thing to remember is even though we may have all gone through some of these exact same things with the mean girls, don't personalize it too much, you know, empathize with your child and say things, well, I experienced that too, and it wasn't very fun. But then think about what might have helped you. How might you have been able to get through this better and then help apply that logic to your child? How do you want their family? How how does that child want you to help them? There are things to definitely not do. Um, Don't approach other parents. I don't recommend that at all. Um, but make sure that the pe- the right people at school do know if this is happening at school. For me, the hardest is I see some of these children who are in the support group that we volunteer with and I see what they sometimes even say to each other and all I can think is why, why? But a lot of times it happens on phones and it happens on apps like Snapchat where it's just, it's said and then it's gone. So key, again, that's being vigilant and making sure your child knows they can come to you making sure that they know it does get better. It's hard and it's not fun and it's not fair, but be that safe space for them. You know, it took me until my senior year of high school to finally have my core group of people where I knew that any time of day, I could roll into my best friend's house and be safe there. And no matter what, her parents were going to be there. They were going to take care of us. It was a safe place for us to go and a safe place for us to talk out anything that was going on. So it's being there. It's listening. It's not overreacting. It's not saying, well, I was bullied too, and I'm still here, so get over it. It's saying, that's really rough, and it's not fair. How can we work through that? And then even role-playing some scenarios if you need to.
0: That is such great advice. And when I'm in like the good parenting zone, I remember the piece about asking my kids, how can I help you? Or do you need me to just listen? Or do you want me to come help you come up with a plan? Um, so this is a good reminder for me to fall back on that instead of usually I'm the fly off the handle mom. So, uh, (laughs)
1: I, I you reminder. know, I, like I said, we don't have children, but I'm the same way. I'm that way with my dogs. I'm that way with our nephews. you You don't touch my people, but it's a it's taking a step back and i've I've really worked on that a lot myself to, okay, take a step back. What is it that you meant? What was your true intent and go from there?
0: Such good advice. Okay, as a recovering perfectionist myself, who is also raising some mini perfectionists, how can we teach our kids to fail this school year or just to cope through struggle and disappointment that's part of life?
1: So saying this really sucks because it's not fun and nobody likes this, That kids have to fail. They have to sometimes fail. They have to realize that not everything always goes their way. You don't want them to constantly fail, but it's okay to sometimes. The best way to handle this is you start building a resilient kid from the earliest age you can. And if your child is 10 and you haven't built resiliency, It's not too late. You still can. You can work on that resiliency piece and on that self, you know, that self-esteem and that self-love that they have. And then when things do go wrong and they don't win the baseball game or they don't pass the test, yeah, recovering perfectionists, same way. I was in college the first time I failed a test and I was terrified to call my mom and tell her. But when that happens, talk with them. And I know I keep saying that, but it's communication with your children is so, so, so important. Ask them, hey, I know this must have hurt. How do you feel? Acknowledge that it hurt. hurts. Acknowledge that it's not fun and none of us like to fail. Not a single one of us. And then ask them what they maybe learned and then don't focus on it any longer. Let it go. Talk about, I have a good friend who, who will frequently tell me, put it in a bubble and let it go and I love that Misty if you somehow hear this I still love that phrase I've known it for 25 years and it's one of my favorite things you have to put it up in a bubble and let it go and focus on what's next is it dinner time is it homework the next thing to do and move on if they start to ruminate way too much on failure I get it I get it. I get it. But this could be a sign that they need to maybe have some therapy to learn those coping skills. Um, I'm not saying jump straight into therapy, but if they have a good counselor on their school staff, that's a great place to start, too.
0: Great, great advice. Another thing that is has been hard for me to parent through at this stage um, is promoting body confidence and positivity when I feel like kids are inundated with the opposite everywhere they look Um, and their bodies are changing. This is like, it's a hard time for them anyway. So how can we really help them focus on good self-esteem and feeling good about their bodies and who they are?
1: So one thing to remember, we are all role models for kids. Our kids, these these little ones, these young ones, these teens, these young adults, they're all sponges. They're all soaking it up. Model good behavior for them. If you feel that you're in a place where you need to be dieting or to lose weight or to gain weight or whatever it is, you can be unhappy with the future of your body and you can take steps to fix that. But you don't want to say in front of them constantly, I'm so fat, I can't deal with this anymore. I've got to lose weight. Or, oh, I hate my nose. My nose is so pointy on the end. I wonder if I need to get a nose job. It's just awful. Kind of let those things off to the side and you can work on fixing them, but model that behavior. The other thing we talk a lot about and we really encourage is doing family activities together. So if If you, for example, are wanting to eat healthier to promote body, healthier body image, just start making things healthier, making healthier meals and talking with your kids about why it's important to eat the proper way and then do things together. Go on adventures to get exercise and be active. It doesn't have to be the normal, well, let's go walk the dog down the street. It can be things like, hey, let's go hike around Lake Hefner let's go out to Stanley Draper and explore and see if we can find any rose rocks. Let's go throw some disc golf discs or ride our bikes or do something different. Just focus on those things and reiterate that people are so much more than what they are what you see you know it's you might see my hair and normally my hair looks pretty good and I have horrible roots right now and I know that but I'm also trying not to focus on that and I wouldn't say that in front of someone who I didn't know well or in front of a child because I wouldn't want them to feel oh my gosh my hair doesn't look perfect today so it's it's really making sure that you're modeling good strong behavior and reminding them that we are all so much more than just how we look or how others perceive us
0: such good advice and one of those many parenting things where to to be able to parent our kids well we've got to kind of check in with how we're acting our own behavior and that can be kind of rough as a parent um oh it's that's gotta be rough yeah it is and I find myself
1: because I'm I'm constantly one of those who is in a, a position where I need to lose weight or I need to do this or I need to do that and I finally have tried to eliminate that that speech from my vocabulary and just talk about how I can be healthier, how I can be better. So it's hard. It's hard to do, but it is possible.
0: It is. And we have really worked in our household to make that shift to our three kids are all athletes. Um, my husband and I both work out often. And so we have really been intentional with our language about, I'm working out today because I want, I like how I feel or I feel strong um, or I'm, I'm eating a salad because this, I I'm, I like the way I feel when I eat more vegetables. Um, so that's, it's been a really hard shift in my household, but I hope that it will have, you know, positive repercussions for our kids and how they feel about themselves.
1: I think it probably will. I really do think it will.
0: Okay, here's another hard conversation. How do we talk to our kids about pornography, sexually explicit content they may come across or search out online, and how all of that can affect their mental health?
1: Well, you do like the hard ones, don't you? The hard (laughs) questions. So this is difficult. This is so, so difficult because as you brought up earlier, when we were younger, Of course, there were those things out there that you could access. And, you know, dad had maybe dirty magazines here, or somebody's, somebody, a friend's dad had them, or you knew about those things, but they weren't so widely available. So here's where, once again, I'm going to say this, and I swear, I, I apologize for sounding like a broken record. But again, it's early communication with your kids and being open and honest. Um, start from a relatively young age and in an age appropriate manner, tell them what they may find online. I mean, you you don't want to encourage them to go look at it, but the key here is by telling them that these things might be out there and are out there, is you want to remove shame and stigma from the conversation so that they know they can come to you and say, I saw this. You want to be able You want them to feel safe with approaching you without reprisal or without embarrassment. And unfortunately, the bottom line is most kids are going to come across this stuff at some point. You want them to be prepared. You want them to know how to react. I will say this. There are a few other things we need to address with this. Talk to your children about consent consent, consent, consent. This is one that, especially with some of the more bizarre behaviors we're seeing from some people on social media, this one, I don't think you can talk about consent enough. You have to make sure that they understand what that means, but you also need to make sure that they understand about predatory behavior. You need to make sure You need to let them know that those people, there are people out there who will prey on them. So explain how that's dangerous and what they should do if they somehow encounter a person who says, well, you should do X for me and send me a video or a photo of it, or, you know, take your shirt off, whatever it might be. You need to make sure why this is never, ever, ever okay. And that this is never, ever, ever legal. And especially when we start talking about ones, kiddos who are getting a little bit older, the ones who might be more apt to send a picture to their friends or something like that, make sure they understand that why that's not okay and why it is illegal and that that could get them in trouble as well. Because we we have to protect them and we just don't know what all is out there. So again, I think it's start early and talk to them about, You may sometimes see this and it's, you know, it's okay if, if that's when you're an adult and that's, but it's not ever okay if there's a child who's involved. And also uh, the other tip that I hear a lot and that I always suggest is from a very young age, teach your child the proper terms for their body parts. That is so important because if a child, and I was just in a seminar where they talked about this again, if a child comes home and says, oh, well, so-and-so sniffed my flower or says that to a teacher and the teacher doesn't realize that that family refers to genitalia as a flower, that's where we have a problem. So recommend always using proper names for your kids with their their body parts so that they're able to properly communicate anything that might happen.
0: Thank you for touching on all of that important information for parents to know and I will say as again as child who grew up in the 80s and 90s um, I was not prepared for how early my kids would come across pornography or sexually explicit content. And I will say for my oldest, that was, she didn't have a phone. I didn't think she had access. And so my cautionary tale to parents is their friends may have phones and their friends may have access. And sometimes that happens at school. (laughs) So even if you think I have protected my child against coming across those kinds of things. It's out there in the world. And I would always encourage those proactive conversations, um, and reactive conversations are okay. If that's, if that is a situation that happens to you, like it did to me. Um, but that was, that was fourth grade. So it happens earlier than you think.
1: It does. And it's, it's sad and it's heartbreaking and I hate it, but make sure you're also, and and like you said, reactive conversations are okay. I'm not, I I hope everybody knows I'm not parent shaming here at all. That is not me. I would never do that. Um, But also make sure you're educating your kids on on their bodies. And I think that then helps remove some of the, oh, well, maybe I want to search this out so I can find out more about what a body is and does. So it's, it's kind of almost that sex education, making sure that they understand properly.
0: Absolutely. So, so important. Okay. Next hard question. How do we talk to our kids about suicide and what do we most need to know as parents to be able to identify if our child or another child we love is having suicidal thoughts?
1: So suicide, um, this, is, this is very much my wheelhouse. I am no longer the most popular person at parties, not that I ever was, but I roll in and people say, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, well, I work in suicide prevention. You would. So... It's not the most fun thing to talk about, but I think it's important we do talk about it. Again, resiliency, building resiliency and talking with them about building trust as well. Having that open door. My kids can come to me and can tell me things and they can ask me things and make sure they can identify those trusted adults. And even acknowledging, hey, if you don't wanna come to me, If you don't want to come to mom and talk, you can go to someone else, another adult. Just make sure they have those trusted adults in their lives and make sure that you're being vigilant and watching some of those signs we talked about earlier, the withdrawing from friends, withdrawing from others, no longer enjoying things that they used to do, Um, appearance changes, big changes in moods, all that stuff. Keep an eye out for those and address them. You know, you don't want to wait too long, but above all, you want them to also know that you are a safe person for them. There's, if they've done something wrong, there's always time for judgment and punishment later that can be addressed and handled later. Safety has to be number one. And I cannot emphasize this enough. If someone, if your child or another child or an adult says to you something like, i I just can't do this anymore, I'm done, I want to die, I don't want to live, I I, I listen to them. It's so easy to say, oh, well, you know, I've said that a million times, oh, I'll just die if I don't get this new job. Remove those things from your language, but when people start to say, I'm just gonna die, I can't believe he broke up with me. If that happens to your children, truly hear them. If they tell you that they are hurting, listen and hear and don't dismiss it. It's hard to do, but as soon as you suspect your child is struggling with mental health, get them help. Like I said, try to know now what your insurance does, what it covers, what that process is, and then know what to do in these cases. I would, I definitely want to talk about this as well. If you are in that position right now, if you, if you are concerned about your child or another child or even an adult that you have met and you're like, something is very wrong with their mental health and they need help, you can take action right now. You can take action at absolutely zero cost. You can call or text 988, which is Oklahoma's mental health lifeline. Uh, 988 was put into play a year ago. Last week, a year ago, uh, July 5th, it was, I like to say, it's the b- best birthday gift I've ever gotten because that was on my birthday. And 988 was developed and has been developed. It is nationwide, but Oklahoma's is a little different. It's not just a suicide prevention lifeline, it's for any mental illness. So if you are having anxiety or you are depressed, or if someone is starting to abuse substances, you can call for help. It doesn't have to be you who's struggling. You can call and get information on how you can help your child. You can get, um, you can schedule an evaluation. You can have someone talk to your child on the phone and do an evaluation on the phone and see what they need. Help is available. It is there. It is amazing. Um, I did a presentation this morning, and I was looking at numbers from the Suicide Lifeline, and we have in the last thirty days answered almost forty two hundred calls. And that's in that's on a rolling thirty day period, so from uh, June twelfth until today, almost forty two hundred calls from Oklahomans. That to me is incredible. That shows me that there people are struggling. The other beautiful thing about nine eight eight is if you call say say you realize you wake up one day and you're like okay this really is depression it's not just a, about of the two week kind of de, kind of the blues i need some help yeah you know, that's easy to say hey i need some help but the next question is where do i go And that's, I work in mental health. And sometimes for me, that can be difficult. Where do I go? Fortunately, I have a great relationship with my physician and I was able to go that direction. But you can call 988 and you can say, what do I do? How do I get help? It's called coordination at care. And our trained folks can help walk you through that to get your child help or get you help or get whomever that help that they need. Going back to more suicide prevention, again, if they're struggling, get them help. If it's another child who's struggling, be that safe adult and get them help. It's going to mean you probably have to eventually talk to their parents or guardians for permission for treatment, but it's critical to still make that call because there are other ways if the parents aren't available that they can still get that help.
0: Such good information. And I, you mentioned this, but I want to stress that 988 can be used when you're in a crisis, but it can also be used if you are trying to prevent a crisis. So if you have concerns that your child is dealing with anxiety or depression or anything else, and you just need a listening ear, it's a great resource to call or text anytime for any mental health issue with you, your child, another loved one.
1: If you're lonely at 3 a.m. and can't sleep, I I sometimes have insomnia. And one of my coworkers and I joke about, hey, I was awake at 3 o'clock again this morning. I almost called 988 to talk (laughs) talk through it with them. And that's the honest truth. You can. Those folks who answer the phone, that's what they're there for. They work for 988 because they care. I mean, none of us work in mental health because we're getting rich. That's just the honest truth. And we all want to be able to help people. So, absolutely, if you're just, even if you're just overwhelmed and need some advice on prioritizing things, give them a call.
0: It's a tremendous resource, and we are so fortunate to to have 988 in Oklahoma, for sure. Meg, thank you so much for joining me today for all of your fabulous wisdom that you've shared with us. I am going to have to watch this back so I can take notes on all, all the things that I need to be thinking about as a parent as my kids head back to school. Thank you.
1: You are welcome, and you know how to get a hold of me. Um, If you need anything, please reach out. I'm here. Um, That goes for anyone listening. If you need to get a hold of someone at the department, you can always call and ask for some help. You can call 988, or you can reach out to Metro Family, and they can get you connected. I thank you so much for having me on. I know this is not fun stuff to talk about, but it's important, and we just want Oklahomans to be healthy.
0: Absolutely, it's such needed information. I know um, I am always grateful to get to learn from the Department of Mental Health. For all of our listeners, you can learn more about the programs offered through the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services at oklahoma.gov slash O-D-M-H-S-A-S. And as we talked about, for Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline, you can call or text 988 to receive free support For mental health crises or to help prevent a crisis, those operators are licensed and certified health crisis specialists who can answer calls, connect you to resources, or dispatch local services and mobile crisis teams that is available 24-7. You can learn more about all the services offered through 988 at 988oklahoma.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.